Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Joltel from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today, we have three guests from Chattanooga. We have Marty Arvin, who's Vice President, Chief Compliance Officer at Erlinger Health Systems. Uh, from Dallas, Joan Podoleski, who is Chief Privacy Officer at Children's Health. And from Washington, D.C., Adam Green, partner at Davis Wright and Tremaine. Uh, all three will be joining for a Privacy Officers Roundtable at the 2023 HCCA Compliance Institute. So first, Adam, Joan, Marty, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today and for being a part of the Compliance Institute. Um, so uh, Adam, uh, what are the top issues that you hear your clients and compliance teams in general facing these days when it comes to privacy? So I think right of access continues to be a big issue. Um, mainly because, frankly, it's become such a top enforcement priority for the HHS Office for Civil Rights. And so I definitely see clients facing investigations related to patient complaints related to right of access. And what I tend to see is that it tends to be the more unorthodox situations that cause problems. So if a patient comes in and makes a typical request through the Health Information Management Department, that oftentimes goes pretty smoothly. It's when you have requests that may be ancillary to litigation, for example. So the patient might be suing the health system and their request gets suddenly forwarded to the attorney that's representing the health system or the patient requests raw data and that's not within the health information management department itself you know that's where i tend to see issues pop up where it could lead to compliance problems um, a second area is definitely website disclosures uh, we've seen a lot of litigation within the past few years over how websites of health systems are disclosing information about visitors to third parties and then most recently OCR issued guidance in this area, really serving as, I think, a shot across the bow that this is an area that they now recognize is a potential issue. Um, and so that in particular got a lot of people's attention and a lot of health systems are suddenly struggling to understand exactly what their websites and marketing departments are up to in this respect. Joan, anything you'd want to add? No, I think following up on the points that Adam made, though, I think for everybody related to privacy, the right of access remains a focus because it remains a focus from OCR. And one of the things I see people do is really trying to go back to the basics and make sure that they've taken a hard look at their internal processes around that. And those handoff situations that Adam referenced where this is a slightly unusual request. I work in the pediatric universe. And so for us, it's you're getting a request from an extended family member or you're getting a request from child protective services or from a lawsuit. And those things frequently don't fit the standard process. Making sure that you've really got all of those contingencies thought about and planned in advance so that you can continue to make the timelines that are required by the regs. Um, so I think that's critical. And the, the web tracking is certainly an issue that a lot of people are struggling with because those web designs frequently were done with the assumption that that data was not PHI and we didn't have to worry about where it was. And so people are having to go back and look at infrastructure to figure out how do we really know 
what data we're keeping and where is it going and what are we using it for. I just have a quick add to something that, that Adam commented on. What we're seeing is challenges from companies that purport to be making a request on behalf of the patient. And what we discovered if they're, is they're really working for a law firm. So they're challenging the fees we want to charge them for, for copies of the record. Um, but in fact, they, you know, they've been challenged through to OCR. And OCR has said, no, you're not really making the request on behalf of the patient. So just be on the lookout for that and make sure that those companies are truly acting on behalf of the patient and not a third party. In the instances we had, many of the patients weren't even aware that the company was making the request on their behalf. Really, that's troubling. Now, Joan, are there any good strategies you've seen emerge for meeting these privacy challenges? As Adam mentioned, at the beginning, many times the things that fall through the cracks are the unusual requests. Um, in the pediatric world, it's frequently someone like Child Protective Services. And when those happen, making sure that your processes are clear so that you continue to meet all of the regulatory timelines that you have to stay within. So I would also add that you wanna really understand what your designated record set is. The, the privacy rule requires you to document the location of your designated record set, so the different systems that are subject to the right of access. But decades after that requirement went into effect, you'd be surprised by how many people don't have a good list. Um, and so making sure that the Health Information Management Department um, has a good understanding of what qualifies the designated record set, uh, potentially revisiting that in light of recent um, cases. So for example, some people traditionally excluded raw data, um, but I would recommend that you think rethink that approach and consider including raw data like EKGs in the designated record set to the extent that you maintain them. Um, and then think about auditing your program. Uh, so especially, you know, trying out what may be a more unorthodox request and really, you know, auditing, do people understand how to respond to that? So that's kind of the right of access on the website disclosures, um, either internally or if needed, bringing in someone who can look at your website coding and understand exactly what information is being disclosed from your website to third parties. You know, making sure that if someone, for example, types in abortion, that that's not going to a third party that it shouldn't. Uh, Marty, anything to add before we go on? Well, I think thinking about the designated record set, that's also going to link in to the information blocking provisions. And so it's always been important, as Adam pointed out, but I think it's even more important now to have a better understanding of what constitutes your designated record set and where all that data is. And, and I think Joan's point cannot be emphasized enough. Make sure you are going back through your policies and procedures on a routine basis and that people understand it. So also thinking through what is your training strategy and has that been updated recently? And have you tried to make it more fresh and entertaining for people so they really you know, take away what you need them to take away and aren't just sitting in front of a computer pushing the forward button until they get to the end? Good admonition. Now, let's talk about uh, something of a newer challenge, which is telehealth. What should compliance teams be doing, Marty, to ensure their organizations remain compliant with the privacy requirements there? Organizations really should be spending some time understanding 
what changed as it relates to telehealth through COVID and how some of that may revert back once the public health emergency is lifted and making sure they're prepared for that. I fully anticipate we're going to get a lot of complaints from patients because we're going to have to tell them we might not be able to use the same modality going forward. We might not be able to use telehealth at all. We might have to restructure some things around the, the security of the modality and, and also meeting some of our compliance obligations for privacy. Um, so it's just making sure you've started to prepare for the fact that the you know changes are coming. And I think in particular, trying to think through how you respond to patients, because I think the providers are going to be unhappy, but I fully anticipate patients are even going to be more unhappy when we have to say to them, I know that's the way we used to do it, but we can't do it that way anymore. And Joan, you, you know, you're in a pediatric setting. Any other different challenges that you see? Well, I think Marty hit an important part of it, and that is to make sure that your technical infrastructure is really going to be ready for the public health emergency to go away. We had a lot of leeway in what systems we could use, whether or not they were technically compliant with the HIPAA security regs, um, and we're not gonna have that going forward. We were lucky in our environment because we actually had been fairly active in telehealth before the public health emergency, so we had a compliant structure in place. But as I talk to my colleagues around the country, that's the thing they are all struggling with is how do we move to that new platform, whatever it might be, ensure that it's compliant and still keep services to our patients because the reality is nobody wants to go back to the days where we did not have telehealth. It's just too useful. It makes our providers more effective. Um, and it's a wonderful service to our patient. We're in over 100 schools doing health, telehealth around Texas. And it's a wonderful thing for parents as much as it is for the kids that the patient can be seen in the school nurse's office by a provider on our campus, get diagnosed and have the prescription waiting at their pharmacy by the time the kid is out of school at the end of the day. Nobody wants to go back to a day where we couldn't do those things. So we have to figure out how to do it but how to do it in a compliant fashion. I'll just briefly add that um, with respect to what Marty and Joan said, making sure you've got a business associate agreement in place with your vendor. Um, there may have been vendors who were not willing to sign business associate agreements, and that was okay during the public health emergency, but um, no longer will be the case. And so making sure you have those BAAs in place with your telehealth platforms is key. So. Adam, let's talk about another area, which is the expansion of apps in healthcare with patients able to communicate with their doctors using them and also access their own medical information. What should we be doing to ensure that all sides are using these apps properly? So education is key here. With the information blocking rule, it's pretty clear in the guidance that healthcare providers can't just dictate, no, we don't like that particular vendor. We don't, you know, we don't, trust that app so no we're not going to share information with them uh, that likely would qualify as information blocking instead healthcare providers can think about objective education measures 
um, that they want to employ. And some of the electronic health record vendors actually have great resources on this where they've you know, put together some of that education. They've looked at the privacy policies of some of these third-party apps, um, and that can be a helpful resource. And so making sure that you are educating patients about you know, what they should be looking out for in these apps and what the potential dangers are, but not going too far into the world of information blocking. Uh, you know, I, I think many of the things Adam said are important, but, you know, just considering and making sure our teams understand what they're obligated to do as it relates to patients who want to use apps and, and where we can perhaps uh, not agree to that. And, and I think that has gotten narrowed, as Adam mentioned, under information blocking. Um, so, and also when we're trying to develop apps ourselves or coordinate with perhaps third parties who are trying to develop apps, what that means in relation to being able to share our patient information and, and fully understanding that. Well, finally, um, you can't talk about privacy without discussing the risk of a data breach. Joan, what keeps you up at night? I think the thing that keeps me up the most is recognizing that no matter how good your infrastructure is, how good your training is, how many internal controls you put in place, many breaches are caused by human error. And there's nothing you can do to control for that. You can educate, you can reinforce, you can try and keep it in the front of somebody's mind. Um, but if somebody clicks on a link in an email that they shouldn't have clicked on um, and your system gets hacked, then your best hope is to remediate that as quickly as you can um, to get them back out of your system. But I think that's the reality of privacy is all of us are compliant when everyone involved in touching patient data understands their part in protecting it. And that's huge and it's full of humans and humans inevitably make mistakes that you have to live with. I think Joan is spot on on that. I know we use white hat fishing campaigns and, you know, applaud people who don't get caught in the fish, but we then require uh, people to be, take a short, very short training course if they do get caught by the fish. And the way our CIO has set it up, if you get caught twice, then not only you, but your supervisor has to take the training. But even if you do all of that, there's still going to be times people get busy, they're not paying attention, they don't think, and they click on something they shouldn't have. And I agree with Joan. I think that's one of the biggest risks. Curiosity and carelessness. As long as those are still around, I'm going to be gainfully employed. Curiosity is the one that I sometimes see really difficult to stamp out. I mean, you've got, you know, sometimes thousands or even you know, tens of thousands of people within a healthcare system may have access to the records. And you know, some of them are going to have idle hands and find themselves curious and identifying that and remediating it before it gets out of hand and you have someone looking at hundreds and hundreds of records, um, I, I see as one of the biggest challenges that seems to pop up every once in a while. Well, um, Adam, Joan, Marty, thank you so much for taking the time to share these insights with us today. And at the Compliance Institute, I wanna thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Schultzhaupt from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective. <laughs>